Hello and welcome. So, what does it all mean? How did you do it? And why? I'm Miles J. Linton and these are the sorts of questions I get from the people in my life as an artist, a psychologist and an academic. For me, these discussions are absolute gold dust, but they're very rarely recorded. So in this podcast, I really wanted to capture my conversations with friends across Bristol whilst completing my commissioned artwork for the Moxie Public Art Programme. One of the main themes of the artwork is repetition. So our habits, the thoughts that circle our minds and the things we return to time and time again. We recorded the podcast in my flat at St Anne's house and on site at the Moxie beginning around the time the artwork was just a sketch and ending with the artwork in its glass, neon and metal completion. So, I hope you get to see the artwork yourself and I hope this episode gives the work a bit of extra context. Enjoy. Jassy Santar has a PhD from Bristol Law School. She's an activist and the first friend I made here in Bristol, so kicking things off with her made the most sense to me. We chatted in August 2021 at the Moxie Hotel, around the time I'd designed the work, but nothing had been constructed. So my PhD was looking at the involvement of girl child soldiers in conflict, but looking at um, their position as sort of active agents rather than vulnerable victims, which is how they're depicted in a lot of international law. When you asked me to be part of this podcast and you said, you know, the, the theme's going to be repetition, I was like... Me and repetition. Is, <laughs> I associate repetition with um, probably routine. And I don't know why I've got kind of like a, a negative association with it. You know, repetition to me is something where if something is being repeatedly done over and over again, it doesn't signify something positive to me. And I don't know why. And I think that that is, and we've had this discussion before, it's because I'm quite whimsical and I'm into short-term gratification. So I, I very much <laughs> am about, um, you know, I've done something one day and repeat it. But actually repetition, when I was thinking about it this morning, I was like, it's actually really important in terms of solidifying like concepts and ideas, but also it helps you grow. What are the good things about repetition for you? For me? Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that... Certainly when I was putting the piece together, I was reflecting on how challenging of a year it's been mm. and how life, I'm going to get really philosophical now. <laughs> how life, it is my podcast. <laughs> I was kind of reflecting on how life often requires you to pick yourself up mm. and try again and again and again at things. And the things that have been most rewarding for me have been those things that I haven't got straight away. Mm. The things where, I mean, like even art, I, I wouldn't call myself a natural artist. And it's something I've really had to work at, you know, over years and years and years. And there's been a lot of satisfaction in that compared to maybe some things I've got a little bit quicker. Mm. So for me, it's, it's, yeah, it's a personal reminder that life is a process and stuff just takes time. I don't know, that perseverance is a really core part of mm. repetition for me. And you know, I try and visualise some of that strength in the neon piece because there is definitely that need sometimes to mm. dust yourself off and try again. Yeah. <laughs> I say covered in dust um, on a building site <laughs> um, in a beautiful hotel. Yeah. <laughs> uh, why, why do you think I asked you to be on this podcast? 
That's a very good question. I think maybe because, I guess our chemistry. Yeah, I think that we, our conversations flow very easily and it's, it's very comfortable. It's very safe. Um, it's very easy. And I think that we both are really good at being open to each other and our ideas. Um, and also, I think you just really like me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically that. <laughs> yeah, no, ab- absolutely. So I have a question. Would you call yourself an artist? <laughs> this is why I invited you onto the podcast, because I knew you would take the power back. Um, would I call myself an artist? I mean, you only got a, a really nice art piece in the really nice hotel in Bristol. Oh, it's so difficult. I mean, the really honest answer is I, I, I will, but there is still some friction with it. I still think to be an artist, there are still things I need to do. But I also appreciate that actually that is a voice I have to kind of engage with again and again and actually critique a bit. So what am I going to do in the meantime? I can't not make stuff because I don't feel like an artist. I have to just continue to create because that's what feels good. And maybe one day I'll accept that as part of my story. you got to repeat the process. <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> I call you an artist and to me you are one. And I think most people who see this art piece will say, yeah, that's made by an artist or it's designed by an artist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. That's really nice to hear. There's that saying that, you know, um, I'm probably going to get this wrong, but um, that uh, a sick man only wishes for one thing, you know, their health again and to be better. Mm. Um, it'd be, yeah, I think that that's kind of I mean, relates to kind of the piece that you've done um, and the piece that you've drawn. And actually a lot of your work does kind of have that sort of element to it doesn't it yeah yeah absolutely like I you know I identify um quote unquote as like quite a figurative artist so bodies are really important to me I think bodies are great I think they're fun I think they they tell much more of a complex story than they're often given credit for Mm. um I mean I and again I can't remember whose quote this is but the body keeps the score wow okay yeah there's a book called that there is a book called that yeah but just that idea of, you know, your life is happening, your body keeps the score, it's mm. where you hold tension, it's what it's where you hold your emotions, it's certainly a site where whether things are good or bad, you know, there are so many indicators that show up in and around your body and how mm. you move through spaces. So I have always been really passionate about giving the body more credit, giving yeah. it more space, giving yeah. it more airtime. I am always interested in drawing different types of bodies, different particularly different poses and I try not to think too much about or I try not to overthink the process Mm. because it it turns into something else to be honest. I also think it's really interesting that you know you're using colour and it's not so black and white. I mean the colours are really sweet in this piece and neon working with light is such a pleasure because I feel kind of having seen a mock-up of how it's going to look in practice it floods the room mm. in a way that only light can yeah. and in a way that only some of these colours can. So I almost want it to look and feel like grabbing a handful of sweets and shoving them down your mouth. Yeah, That's that oh, I love that feeling. Sweet, yeah. juicy, but also quite warm. Mm. They're deliberately very um, warm colours. Um, so yeah, I, I want looking at this to feel nice and sweet and warm. Mm. Well, I mean, it's really also interesting to hear more about why you've chosen the colours that you've chosen, why you decided to design it the way that you have designed it. And you spoke a bit about the positives of repetition and how 
you know, repetition can be a good thing. I'm just wondering more about the negatives or what you think that, you know, whether it can be like a barrier or maybe hinder. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, so much of my work does, at least on some level, draw on my work as a psychologist. Mm. And I think some of those more challenging habits are the kind of the kind of negative loops people can find themselves in. Yeah. So, you know, some of the behaviours that aren't so restorative mm. or some of those things that we put ourselves through that aren't as like beneficial to us as whole people. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. And that's part of life. Mm. I actually want to ask you about your art piece and what inspired it, especially the theme of repetition. Kind of just, it's like I've got to get something out. And I know a lot mm. of artists will kind of relate to that in that sometimes it isn't a deliberate process. So I didn't go into it. I, me- I remember drawing it on a not great day, on a day where I felt like, as I often do, I start drawing when I'm like, either there's a feeling I can't quite verbalise or I just need some time to zone out. Mm. Um, and I probably have a little bit more fun with reflecting on it when I step back and thinking, oh, okay, I can see repetition in that. I can see like the different tone in the postures. Mm. I can see, I, I think there's a real key element in there about strength. Like some of the poses are really quite, um, I mean, I know I'm really biased, but like quite deliberately quite striking. Mm. Um, and I'm most interested in people seeing the work and them giving me their interpretations. Mm. So I wonder with you, <laughs> having not seen it and now seen it, what else comes to the surface for you? So, I mean, it's interesting that, you know, it's it's about repetition and that's the theme. Because when I see, I mean, I, repetition isn't what strikes me. What strikes me is, I mean, they're, they're very, like you said, they're very strong bodies that are being uh, depicted. And um, when, I mean, when I first saw it, I was like, is this the same body? Or is it, you know, multiple bodies? Or is it kind of like an evolution of bodies? And um, I also think there's the the element that we're probably not talking about so much is the the personality part of it, like different personalities within, you know, the same body which are being shown in three different ways. Um, so yeah, I think it's when you say, oh, it's you know, it's about repetition, then I'm just like, okay, I can see it. But there's also so much more to it than just the repetition angle that you you've kind of shown. There's so much power that's being shown, and I think it is also because of the way that yeah, the bodies have been drawn. So, um, I mean, our, our bodies are incredible. Maybe that's yeah. something that kind of yeah. comes out of it. The amount of stuff most of our bodies do without us even thinking, mm-hmm. you know, the strength they have, the things that until something does go wrong, just yeah. tick along working perfectly. Yeah, yeah that, that that's I hadn't even thought of that, but yeah, you know, the body really is a pretty damn, mm. um, if I can swear on my own podcast, <laughs> a pretty damn incredible thing. Verity McIntosh is an expert in virtual and extended realities, and she's someone who's been working across Bristol and across disciplines for some time now. So I thought she'd be the perfect person to discuss my own foray into new creative territory. We chatted in September 2021, when the glass for the neon artwork had arrived from Italy and construction of the final piece with Cabot Neon was underway. Why do you think you've ended up in this world of VR and um, extended reality? Mm, Good shout. Um, Like most people, probably by accident. Um, So I sort of started off wanting to be a theatre person and I went to university and 
trained in theatre and TV stuff, and then got a bit disillusioned with how insular the theatre community is and the people in the audience are the same people as the ones on the stage. And it's kind of a, it felt like it was a sector that was slightly disappearing of its own something. Um, and I was, I was finding it quite limited in terms of what was getting made and what was getting seen. So the stuff that I was starting to find super interesting then was the stuff that was starting to integrate new technology in different ways, thinking about theatre that doesn't have to live in a theatre, that can be kind of site responsive or set in kind of more like participatory settings where the audience and the performance was much more blurred than mm. I was sort of expecting from when I was trained in sort of proscenium arch theatre where you sit and watch. And I think that took me into techie stuff for the majority of my career since. Um, I kind of moved away from theatre and started working with a lot of artists and technologists and researchers through, mostly through a place called the Pervasive Media Studio in Bristol, which is amazing, um, which is a kind of a, a welcoming, combining space for people from different disciplines to come and think about creative technologies and creative uses of technology. So I worked there for Yonks um, and kind of came back to my theatre bodiness in that I was working a lot particularly with theatre makers and documentary makers and filmmakers who wanted to use VR usually virtual reality to kind of move their practice into a new space at the time mid 2010s nobody really seemed to know how to do it so to try and help the artists that I was working with I kind of self-taught and worked with a number of amazing people over the years that kind of helped me to learn and understand a bit more about it so sort of inadvertently specialised to support other people as a producer. Uh, and in doing so, kind of discovered a passion for it myself and got really into some of the politics and the problems of virtual reality as an emerging medium. So then when sort of a few more years rolled by and I found that there was more appetite to experience this kind of work and make this kind of work than opportunity to actually kind of do so, I moved into academia as a way to like help to... Um, allow new people coming through to get get good training to be critical to think about what they're doing and to really develop their voices so mm. I'm, I'm kind of in academia now to support the next generation of makers to to really kind of confound and explore this technology listening to you talk i was i was reflecting on how tech for your work in theater land was a little bit like neon in my own illustrations it was for me, a way to kind of move forward and address some of the the limits of the way that I'd been creating in the past. And Neon is so new to me and I'm still learning so much about it. Um, and I know VR and Neon are clearly very different, but <laughs> you know, one of the key themes of the work that I've been creating is repetition. You know, mm -hmm. that's one of the key ideas that runs through the kind of my vision for the work. And I was wondering whether that idea of repetition ever shows up in the work you do in and around VR. Definitely, in lots of ways. I'd love to know a bit more from you, though, about how repetition is manifesting in the work that you're doing right now. Yeah, so it's, I, th I suppose, whenever I'm creating something, or actually when, it, when I created this, really it was just a kind of a, a niggling reflection on how so many things require us to do something again and again and again. You know, the idea of persistence and perseverance and the idea that it's not about necessarily doing the same thing exactly identically again and again but so much of our life is surprisingly cyclical mm -hmm. and so much of our life is something on repeat I think even with the last kind of 18-19 months <laughs> for a lot of people there's been a lot of sameness mm -hmm. um, and that was just an idea that I kind of wanted to bring into life in some kind of visual 
sense in the illustration that I think I showed you before has these three figures in different configurations to kind of portray that. I love the fact that there's repetition of the figure, but by rotating and, and moving, the, at least the initial impression is that it's completely different and the kind of dynamism of them in different poses gives you something different. And I, I love finding those moments where repetition doesn't mean mundane, you know, repetition can, you can learn something new from each cycle and you can kind of turn your own lens around on something that is ostensibly the same and find something new. And I, I really love that about the piece that you showed. How do you feel about the um, the kind of Instagrammability of work? You know, there's, there's a lot of focus on how things kind of create that Instagram moment. It's interesting. So much of my earlier work relied on people being distracted by their phones and their laptops because I almost exclusively worked digitally. So, you know, my stuff was on social media or on websites. But now I think this will be the first major piece of mine that doesn't require you to be anywhere near a screen to kind of experience it. So for me, yeah, it's great. It's yeah, cool to experiment with that. I mean, I probably would not be talking to you on this podcast if it wasn't for um, social media generally. Because mm -hmm. when I first started re-energizing my own creativity and went back to illustration, it was only really through finding other artists online with similar styles or similar objectives that I was able to share ideas and get feedback. And if I was working totally in the middle of a global pandemic, trying to develop my creative practice without the input of other artists from across the world, which was also facilitated by social media, I just don't know that I would have developed like either at the speed or in the same direction. So for me in that sense, I, I'm, I've always been quite positive and optimistic about it. That said, I am really more conscious of drawing the line between the work I do and Instagram and social media more broadly mm -hmm. and it not being for social media per se, but it just being another kind of tool. Um, because I do think a lot of artists can get lost in the responses that their work gets and drawn away from the actual work itself and what it's doing. Maybe to, you know, maybe with and for fewer people, but likes are a complex thing. I don't know if I like likes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How soon after waking up do you check your phone? Oh no, dude. Ah, uh, honestly, I mean it, seconds. Like it's pretty. So the the gateway drug there is knowing what time it is. I want to <laughs> know what time it is, mostly to see if like it's appropriate that I've woken up. Do I expect my little one to be up any second now? Is the cat going to start baying for blood? Mm. Um, <laughs> But the fact of touching a phone and seeing what time it is normally is then followed really quickly by a check to see if like anything is immediately demanding my attention. And that can yeah. be as trivial as like, is anyone like my content? <laughs> <laughs> like, is, anything, is anyone like panicking yeah. online or like, is anyone emailing me to, with a big crisis? I'm normally like looking for reassurance that there's no crisis for me to deal with. And yeah. that's a pretty like angsty way to wake up but I'm looking for reassurance so that I can then not have anxiety <laughs> I'm sure it's in no way healthy to be that quick to the phone but yeah it's like thing number one if not two that I do yeah, yeah. hey I'm there with you too yeah <laughs> I'll go on record saying uncomfortably soon after waking up yeah I think I mean once you know, the, eye, the eyes are barely open and I've already checked three apps yeah. just to, <laughs> just to be sure what are yeah. you looking for what do you what do you want to know when you're checking that's a good question I've never thought about it I sounds terrible i guess i want to know if i've missed anything yeah um even though i would i would 
describe myself as someone who doesn't really have a fear of missing out. But I guess I am checking... <laughs> Behaviour to the contrary. Huh? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess I'm like, oh, what's happened? I've been asleep for seven hours, 20 minutes, maybe something huge that I need to be on, you know, that needs to be on my radar. You know, mm -hmm. I need to make sure I get that information really early. But I have a clock. I have no reason <laughs> to check my phone for the time. We are, I mean, we're creatures of routine anyway. Like the, everyone, the, the word morning routine is, they're two words that just live together and they always and they always have done. We are, we are sort of supported by the predictable when we're only half awake. And so if, whatever your routine is, if it's go out and feed the sheep or if it's hit the snooze button three times and then wake up, like the ability to repeat ad infinitum gives us some security in our lives that we, we then, we know that we've started in the way that is familiar to us. And I think sometimes what can be a bit challenging is when that routine gets zipped away for whatever reason and we have to start without our rituals and without our routines and without our repetition and I'm, I'm all for a little bit of ingrained possibly not terribly helpful behavior if it means that it settles settles the path absolutely I, you know I think at least like on a personal level I know an indicator that I'm not in the best place is when my routines have gone amiss mm -hmm. when my life is so cluttered that I can't do the things that usually keep me in a good space mm -hmm. so yeah absolutely those routines I think the idea of repetition sometimes gets a bad rep because the idea of that being related to monotony but actually a lot of those routines and cycles are there because we benefit from them and, and you know on some level we appreciate that yeah that thing in the morning lighting a candle or having a coffee or checking in with a good friend, that stuff matters and it is important to enriching yeah. our lives. I was really keen to work with Cabot Lee and because they're a Bristol-based company and because I could kind of go to the workshop and I knew that they understood the city and they've been doing what they do for so long. I just wondered how you kind of go about choosing who you work with. So I think part of having been knocking about Bristol for 20 years or so is it's such a creative and open and experimental community. I've just kind of gathered family to me over the years that I can't seem to shed. Um, <laughs> so it's more, it's more having the time to work with as many wonderful people as, a, as I can. We, we had a phrase in the pervasive media studio where I worked where you were generous and interruptible. And that's kind of the mantra that I hold to. I'm, I'm always available for a chat. Um, so I try and operate as a kind of a, like a node in a network and often I'll be like introducing people to someone else who can help them or trying to find ways for them to get their ideas off the ground. Sometimes it involves me, sometimes it doesn't, but I find that by trying to be a bit of a kind of continuous font of, yeah, that's a good idea. Um, how do we do that? Then that that means it's it's never really been challenging. It's more, how do I edit that? Mm. When When is the piece having its grand unveiling? The honest answer is I'm not sure. Sure. <laughs> it's all, it's it's dependent on a bunch of factors at the moment, but I think like at this point, all of the individual pieces have been built. Mm -hmm. um, we have our big aluminium backing oh, that we're going to attach all of the glass to, mm -hmm. spray it the same colour as the wall in the hotel. But we're not going to construct the whole thing until we know exactly when it's going to go up, just because mm -hmm. it'll be more of a pain to store while it's in its um, big form. Makes sense. But yeah. So it's installation day, uh, it's cold, we're on site and we are yeah here for the big switch on and hopefully it all goes to plan.
There is a lot of dust. There is the um, ready to switch on artwork. We've found the perfect spot on the wall. Um, we've attached all of the 15 pieces of glass to the aluminium back, uh, wired it each for the three figures. Um, so much of this, I don't really know what we're doing. So I'm having to learn and that's yeah. fun. Um, but yeah, for me, I think that's out of my comfort zone and then there's this, which is, yeah, I can't even see my comfort zone right now. But that, that's really good in, in and of itself. Linda Devo is a teacher, a maker, and a DJ. But most importantly to me, she's one of the founders of Kiki Bristol, a community group that champions the voices of queer, trans, and intersex people of colour across the city of Bristol and beyond. My chat with Linda took place back at the Moxie Hotel in November 2021, at a crucial point in the hotel's construction and you'll hear that it was very much an active building site. <laughs> what would you like to talk about, Linda? What would I like to talk about? Oh my gosh, it's your podcast. I know, oh, but you're yeah, a guest. Yeah. What would I like to talk about? I was going to say make Bristol shit again. <laughs> Is that a goal of yours? <laughs> no, but it's a sticker that I saw that I was really um, amused by because I moved here nine years ago to get away from London and its racket and incessant action which just paralysed me and made me just go to work and come home and shut my door and not want to engage because it's too much. And I start to feel like that here again as well. So I'm leaving. That's going to be news to anyone oh, on yeah. the podcast. <laughs> but that's okay. That's a good way of putting it out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. to phone everybody and tell them, which is long. <laughs> just send them the, the link to this yeah. half an hour on the podcast. Yeah. Nice. Um, so I'm moving to Blackpool, which I'm really excited about. And everyone goes, why Blackpool? But why not? And it's up north and it's um, a town with wide roads. So I'll never, ever have to listen to people fighting because no one knows how to reverse up my road because that's what happens on my road every day where I live. What are you going to miss about Bristol? Uh, my mates, mostly, actually. I've made a really nice community of friends here. I got here, I only knew my girlfriend. I now have many friends. Um, I'll miss the kids I work with. The Bristol kids are hilarious. Yeah, Kiki, like just my people, that are my, the connections and family that I've made. And the size of the city is really nice, actually. For a city, it's great. You can get everywhere in 20 minutes. So yeah. that's really great. Even when there's traffic. Yeah. You panic, but the traffic keeps moving, so it's all right. I was kind of reflecting on how my, my work is so mm. aligned to this idea that our bodies and our feelings and thoughts are so connected and more connected than I think we give them credit for. And I wondered for you, like, what that connection between your body and your feelings and thoughts are. Um, well, I'm 51, so they are, by now, thankfully, very connected. Like, I feel more integrated than I ever have been in, like, in my life. I'm very aware of, like, how I feel, how that connects to what I'm doing, how I'm eating, you know. So I feel much more um, whole than I used to be. When I used to think I was a tank when I was younger, and I clearly wasn't, because I broke myself. There was a certain point in my life where I was very connected to everything. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, life happens. So as a teenager, I spent a lot of time disconnecting from myself like I think most teenagers do, with mm. whatever substances they can get their hands on. Um, you know, sort of self-medicating and stuff. And, uh, and then through my 20s, becoming really aware that there was a massive disconnect between my head and my heart. And like I couldn't, you know, I was, I was suppressed feelings and things that I couldn't process. I'd just shove them down by getting drunk or whatever it is, you know, young people do, going out partying and ignoring one's feelings. 
and then becoming this all feeling creature who's just too much emotion, you know. And so now at this point in my life, they, they have their place, emotions, but they don't rule me, which is really great. Mm. Um, I also recognise that my health very much depends on what I'm putting in my body or what I do with my body. So all of, yeah, so I just feel a lot more integrated now and a lot more aware of what's going on. So things don't build up to a point where they become a crisis, you know, like if I've got a feeling I'm very quick at responding to it, you know, I'm questioning myself to find out whether it's like what it's based on, you know, so yeah, just a lot more whole. For me, at least, one of the, one of the things at the core of it is this idea of the things that we repeat, the cycles that we go through, the recurrences that colour the lives that we live. And I was kind of wondering for you, looking back at your life, what are what would you say some of the recurring themes are? Good grief. <laughs> <laughs> That's a massive question. Yeah, I've been teaching for the last 18 years. I've been teaching the subject that I do, which is art, design and making, uh, construction. I think that's been a constant throughout my life since I was little. <laughs> In the process of having to write about my work, I've realised how, how much I've just always done what I do, whether it's formally or not. And now I'm, I'm wanting to formalise the process more and I'm now actually willing to call myself an artist because for ages it made me cringe. Now I'm like, okay, I am, and that is what it is. And how do you so fit that, it all in? How do I fit it all in? I really don't know, Miles, I do <laughs> not know. Before COVID, I had so many things going on and I don't know how I managed to do it all. I really have no idea. Because COVID happened, I got ill, and then my mum was ill, and then... You know, and it's just been like that. And so, so this sort of space was created. And now I'm really like loath to say yes to anything. Because I'm like, oh no, I'm too tired. <laughs> oh no, I haven't got time for that. But before I'd have just said yes to everything. And I just, I don't think I ever stopped to like actually acknowledge anything that I was, I was just doing stuff. And then it was just in the past, in the past, yeah, just banked yeah. in the past. I'm not really processing. The last two years before, like 2018, 2019, insane. I don't know how I did it. So now are you better at resting? Like what, what's yeah. the change? Now I just, um, I told you what's a constant in my life is solitude. Like I, I, I grew up very much, I was an only child. I was adopted by my parents and I grew up in like a sort of suburban area, but loads of space around me. So I'd just be with my dogs all the time or in books. Um, just to be able to be alone and have quiet is really important to me. So yeah, so I make a lot more space for that now because mm. COVID gave us all that pause. I was like, you know, I think I might be one of those few people who loved the silence, loved it, loved not, well, I'm sure there were loads of people like me who just liked not having to hurtle around and um, not things being shut, so you've got no choice. You can't go out because there's nothing to go to. Great, yes, you can sit indoors and think, you know. Yeah, and reflect and process mm. and just slow down. Mm. And yeah, I for me, it was definitely a bit of a reset. So much of pre-COVID life was asking for attention and was, you know, kind of really yearning out for, yeah. uh, like, my presence. And, and rejecting that a little bit because actually I didn't want to mm. go back to how busy I was. You know, I want to hold on to some of it, but yeah. I don't want all of it back. So why do you think we are so obsessed with outcomes? And I think it's important that we're doing this interview at the end of the process, because, mm. you know, I'm you know my head is in outcome mode at the moment mm. because we're so, so close to the finish line. So, yeah, why do you think we have become so fixated on the outcome? Capitalism. There's always got to be some product, isn't it? There's always got to be something. You want something that will, you know, <clears throat> even teaching like school kids GCSE product design, they're expected to make a product that you could put on a shelf and buy. 
Yet when I went to university to do my masters, I was encouraged to play. It was not about outcomes. So I think we get things really jumbled up and forget that actually the process of getting there is is vital. And the outcome's almost secondary. It's like if you know how to do the thing, you can make many outcomes. So that shouldn't be the goal. It's the learning the thing is the the should be the outcome. You have to trust the outcome's gonna come, right? Cause... Well, yeah, because <laughs> If you stick at it, of course, then you'll get good enough to have an outcome that's worth looking at. But if we get focused on the outcome, you'll give up before you've even started because you're like, oh, I'm never going to be able to do, you know? Mm. So I don't know whether it's some sort of negative mindset thing. Was it negative bias that we all have in our brains? That, oh, it's not going to be good enough. That stops us from trying because we've got a sense of perfection. Yeah. Or when we're doing the thing, we're just focused on that so much. We don't enjoy getting to that point absolutely we skip steps mm. we hurry through we're mm-hmm. focused on the end goal judge ourselves really harshly when it's not how we imagine mm. i think it's capitalism's fault i blame everything on capitalism so when you judge yourself more positively or you're kinder to yourself when you make i'm partly asking for myself but what are the kind of things that you know your internal linda says to you to help focus more on the process than just play literally that is it just play mm because it just brings me joy if I can just lift off all the outcome or the expectation thing and just enjoy process everything's good mm. even the crap's good because it's like oh look <laughs> <laughs> you know because then you've got you can see travel can't you yeah. so yeah everything has its value then everything has benefit all of it <laughs> it's funny it's now making me think we should have done this interview at the beginning <laughs> <laughs> I would have had this in mind when I made this um, but that's fine hindsight it's 2020. Sorry, right. you'll make again, right? As well. Yeah, I will it's not make your again. final piece ever. <laughs> It'd be a good final piece to end on, I, you know, I think. But no, it was, yeah, it's yeah, not. I'm sure you've got more in you. I do. The last time I visited the Moxie was for the final, final official handover. I chatted with Jack and Raya from Bricks about the process and reflected on how the work feels in the space. Are you happy? Yeah, yeah, I'm, ch- I'm chuffed. I, I, lo- I mean, yeah, I, lo- I love it. We were just on the other side of the road, you know, daytime, and we could see it through the curtains. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Great colour choice. Thank you very much. How did you choose the colours? Or was that instinctual? Or? Yeah, um, I mean, because the, the initial design was black and white. Um, I'm working with Cabernet Ian to see what colours were available in the neon um, and seeing what colours they've used in the past that have worked really well. Just because sometimes the colours in abstract, it can be really hard to know how they'll work together. But yeah, these, so we've got the red and the orange stained glass and the pink isn't, but even that gives it a really nice contrast as well. I love the glow on all of your faces. It looks yeah. so good. Yeah, it's a very flattering light for all of us. Because it's, it's also partly about the atmosphere that it creates, right? It's about the mood that having it in the space allows. The, the neon, it pulls you in. That is one of the kind of tricks of the light. It really does invite you for a closer inspection. I also hope it gives you know people time and space to reflect. I think, I'm hoping that it's, yeah, it's a calming experience interacting with it. Um, and that also kind of plays into the, some of the selection of the colors. Um, I can't wait to come back and be in the space at nighttime. I can't wait to see people around it as well. Seeing yeah. like bodies next to it and next to those shapes. Yeah. That'd be really nice. Because I think so far the only people who've seen it and like been able to comment on it are the people who've been working on site, I... and they've been quite interesting conversations with people who've kind of like tried to like 
predict who the bodies belong to. Um, lots of discussion around gender as well, which I didn't expect. So yeah, they've been really cool conversations to kind of eavesdrop on. But it's just beautiful to see it go from idea through to into the world. Um, would you do Neon again? Oh yeah, I will. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's going to be hard to turn back now, now that I know the process. I'm already mapping out what a bigger, like more adventurous piece might look like with different components and working with colour again um, and the size of the tubes as well. There's just so much room to explore and experiment. There's more kind of boundaries to push in terms of what the design of Neon could look like. So yeah, I'm, I'm ready to explore that. Brilliant. Do you know what I really want to get involved in the creation of a space at a really early point to instead of think, you know, how can this space that's already been designed, already been styled, already kind of been envisioned, look with a neon piece. It's like from the beginning where, you know, where would it go in the beginning? What kind of atmosphere would it create? And building it in from the beginning rather than the end. I think sometimes there's a risk that you can just put art in a space. Um, but I'd love to work earlier on in the process, a little bit like this actually, yeah. um, and bigger, I think. I think there's definitely yeah. a scope to go bigger. Oh, good, yeah. Bringing artists into the conversation as soon as possible gives them widest range of opportunities to be explored and for like creativity to manifest in so many different ways. Um, and as being an after or a secondary part doesn't quite give justice to the role that an artist can play. Um, but you've done such an amazing job with the opportunity uh, for this space that had already been kind of prescribed. It really run with it, which is great. It's, it's been a dream collaboration. I think there there are so many points where maybe it could have gone sideways but I just think it's been yeah it, everyone's been a dream to work with so um happy to say that on record thanks for listening thanks to my pals for coming along to speak with me and if you enjoy the podcast come down to the moxie I won't be there but the artwork will be thanks for listening we're Bricks, a social enterprise with the mission to support creative communities in Bristol, helping them to thrive. We work with communities, developers and local artists to produce programmes that support both local voices and Bristol's creative economy. In 2021, we delivered public art projects across a range of developments from hotels to new housing neighbourhoods, schools and listed community buildings. If you'd like to get in touch, learn more about Bricks Public Art Producing, or find out more about the artwork discussed in this podcast, please visit bricksbristol.org and follow us for updates on all the usual social channels. To be the first to hear when we release new podcast episodes, be sure to subscribe to our feed, and if you enjoyed this episode, feel free to leave us a review. This episode explored one of the works produced for the public art programme at the New Moxie Hotel in St Paul's, Bristol. This podcast was produced by Rowan Bishop. The Moxie Public Art Project was commissioned by Vastint with support from the JU Group. Thanks to everyone on the Creative Commissioning Group for their input.